who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode 12 of Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 27, Barn Dance. No. Tanith gasped the word, a raw rasp in her throat, the gleam of steel in the moonlight still dazzling her eyes. She got her breath and sat up. They're coming. She said it louder and joggled Amber and Bethany. They're coming. She crawled up out of the bedroll and slipped into her boots, ignoring the sharp straws that were sticking into her socks as she did so. They're coming. She repeated it louder and picked up her staff. She slammed out through the gate in the stall and ran down the line, banging on the wooden rails. They're coming. Wake up. They're coming. She ran to the front of the barn and made sure the heavy bar was still in place across the large doors. She opened the smaller person-sized door to peek out and around the corner to where the guard should be. Hey, they're coming. Watch for them. In the woods. They're coming. There was no response, no movement. Hey! She whispered hoarsely. They're coming! Her eyes scanned the moon-silver darkness, but the guard who was supposed to be there didn't respond. She got a cold knot in the pit of her belly. Oh, mother, please, no. She whispered the prayer and looked up at the tall spruce at the back of the village. She couldn't see the raven, but she was certain that it was still there. She pulled back into the barn and closed the door behind her. She turned and bumped into Jakey, still pulling up his braces and looking a bit straw-tossed. What is it, Mom? He kept his voice low. They're coming. Four men, drawn steel. The sentry isn't answering. His eyes went to the door and then back to her. What should I do, Mom? Her eyes scanned the barn and saw the three-tined hay fork. She pointed. That. Guard the door. Watch for whoever's supposed to be guarding the front. Get him back inside if you can. He nodded, finally awake, and focused on what she was saying. She ran back through the stalls, rattling her staff on the rails as she ran. They're coming. Wake up. They're coming. She kept saying it over and over as a kind of prayer, not wanting to stop to see if people were moving. She felt like she was shouting in the quiet of the barn, but her footfalls pounded in her ears as she ran to the back. Amber was alone with the kids in the stall, but waking up and gathering them to her. She turned haunted eyes to Tanith, who tried to smile reassuringly. Stay here. Keep an eye open. She turned at the sound behind her to find Thomas already dressed, his boots on and stepping into his bow to string it. He caught her eye. How many? Four. Josh is with him, but he's still limping. She nodded her head toward the front. 
Jakey's at the front, but the outside guard didn't answer my call. Thomas jerked his head in a short nod. I'll check the back sentry. You check the workroom door. William should be there keeping an eye on the back side of the barn. They both ran to the back of the barn as more people woke. They ran past Charlotte climbing the ladder to the hayloft to wake the quarry boys, and she smiled fiercely in the darkness as they sped past. All around the barn, Tanith could hear the sound of people waking and moving purposefully. She turned the corner into the workroom while Thomas sprinted for the back door, bow pumping and quiver slapping against his backside. She burst into the dimness of the workroom and skidded to a halt. The hearth fire was banked and only provided a dim orange glow. She was slightly disoriented by the darkness, but her mind laid the memory of the room over the shadows and shapes that she could see. William? There was no answer. She started down the near side in the narrow alley between bench and barn wall. William! Her voice was loud in her ears, but he didn't respond. She hurried her steps, but found nobody. Better than finding his body, I suppose. Her grumbling to herself made her huff a laugh and refocused her on the task. She sidled over to the door, which led out to the privy behind the barn, just as the latch released with a soft wooden clack. She froze. The door began swinging inward. She held her breath and drew back her staff, ready to thrust the iron-shod foot into the most available soft spot she could find. The door swung slowly open, and she saw a shape outlined by the light of the last quarter moon. The person edged the door open carefully, but kept looking back over his shoulder as he entered. The moonlight showed him clearly as he stepped over the threshold. William! He jumped as if stung and slammed back into the doorframe, banging the door loudly against the wall as he pushed it all the way open. His moon-dazzled eyes couldn't see in the dim light of the workroom, and she could see him squinting and trying to make out who was inside the door. Mother Fairport? Get in here. Close the door. He grinned at her and pressed a hand to his chest. Mother, have mercy. You scared the... He never finished the thought as a sword from outside the door glittered in the moonlight and thrust cruelly through his shoulder, pinning him to the door. He stared at the metal and followed its length back to the man who held it just around the corner and outside of Tanith's view. Well, hello, Andy. Just couldn't stay away, could you? William's voice was smooth and calm. Then his eyes clouded over and he slumped, his weight carrying the sword downward, pulling it out of the door pulling it out of the hand that held it. Tanith froze, not daring to breathe and waiting for the next person to come through the door. She ached to see to William but dared not move from her place of concealment. Cold night air rushed into the room and she could feel the warmth fading even as she feared that William's life had just been snuffed in front of her eyes. Mort, get in there. Birchwood's voice was a hissing whipcrack. Tanith saw the shadow approaching the door and drew back her staff to strike. Silver steel edged through the door first and then the burly shape of the man behind it. His head was lowered and casting side to side to try to make out what was inside. Tanith held her pose, waiting for her moment, watching the man's movement. She could see him spot the banked hearth as his head cleared the cast light of the moon and the orange light glittered in the moisture in his eyes. He stepped awkwardly over the sprawled body on the threshold. As he teetered to regain his balance, Tanith struck. The iron-bound foot of her staff speared the soft bone of his temple just as he tried to turn his head in her direction. The blow caught him fairly, and bone broke under the iron as Tanith released her pent fury on the attacker. She pulled it back just as a leather-clad hand made a grab for the staff, dodging out of the way as the dead man fell at her feet, 
and Andrew Birchwood stepped through the door. Dagger in his left hand, pommel up, blade down. He stood in the doorway and faced her. You killed my man. His voice was flat and angry. You will pay for that, you know. Tannis shifted her weight, but Birchwood's eyes didn't move to follow her. She realized that he couldn't see her, and in that instant she struck again, driving the foot of her staff at his stomach with all of her strength. He was fast and managed to dodge her blow, stepping into the room and out of the dazzling moonlight. He made a grab for the staff with his free hand, but she had more strength and better leverage. She wrenched it out of his grasp. He sidled further into the building, his back against the outer wall, and his eyes searching the darkness where he believed her to be. She sidled right along with him, her staff held in both hands across her body, waiting for the opening she knew had to come. He paused to kick the planks of the table onto her path, and they clattered on the floor. She felt with her boot and kept her balance across the uneasiness, getting slightly ahead of him and returning the favor by kicking the next set into his path. She had the advantage for the moment. Her eyes were used to the dark, and she could make out his shape in the faint light of the fire. His eyes were adapting fast, and she knew there would be only a few more moments before she'd be visible to him. They continued along their respective walls until they made it almost to the hearth. In a quick movement, he reached with his free hand, pulled up a billet of wood, and threw it at her. She dodged it easily, knocking it down with her staff, even in the dimness. While she was doing that, he tossed a handful of tinder into the fire. It caught quickly, flaring up into a bright flame and giving him his first clear look at his adversary. You, the witch woman, he sneered and almost lowered his guard. She didn't answer, saving her breath and her focus. He stepped up onto the hearthstone, being careful to stay on his side of the fire, and she saw his eyes flicker to the open door of the storeroom. A small smile of satisfaction curled his lips. Through there, are they? He nodded. Good. It was nice of you to gather everybody in one place for me. It makes it so much easier. What with William Dad and that dear boy in the front. Too bad about him, but he was so protective. He tisked. Tanith remained silent. Ah, scared, little mother? He shook his head sympathetically. Killing men is a serious business, and you've just killed one. How does that make you feel now? A little sick? A little queasy? She sidled over to stand between him and the door, but didn't say a word. You think you can stand in my way, little mother? His look was almost incredulous. One small woman with a stick. She smiled. It was not a pretty smile. It did not make her weather-worn face light up. The bones of the earth were her teeth. Her breath was the wind. The fires of the earth were alight in her eyes, and her blood pumped with the strength of the sea. Birchwood saw the smile, and his eyes narrowed. All right, little mother. You should have stepped aside. He stepped onto the hearthstone, and his free hand swept the crockery from the mantelboard in a rain of mugs and bowls. He followed the glassware, leading with his blade and expecting the small woman to be flinching from the flying bowls. He was unprepared for the apparition that stepped into him through the hail of pottery or the staff that shattered his right arm. Unfortunately for Tanith, he held a dagger in his left, and his anger drove him through the pain. He slashed upwards just as Tanith stepped in, sweeping the knobbed head of her staff into his temple on her backstroke even as his blade hooked up to score her from navel to chin inside her guard. The wired edge sliced cleanly through clothing and skin alike. They stood for a lifetime, frozen in the follow-through of their respective strikes. 
She saw the light fade in Birchwood's eyes, even as her own sight focused on the tip of the blade just inches from her face. A single drop of her blood drooled in the fuller and dripped off the tip. A single perfect sphere of crimson, shimmering in the guttering light of the burning tinder. Her eyes couldn't follow it, but in her mind she saw it. Falling, falling, falling. To splatter in a perfect starburst on the warm hearthstone. Chapter 28 Morning Light Long fingers of morning light groped across the grass below her. The clash and clangor in the night had passed as suddenly as it had come. She smoothed her feathers with her bill, worked a bit of oil into them, and sidestepped into the growing light of the morning sun. Her black plumage warmed in the direct gaze of the All-Mother, and she basked for a time and preened, straightening and oiling her feathers to make them sleek and smooth against the winds and weathers. Hunger moved her finally, and strong wings snapped to catch the morning air, once, twice, thrice, before gliding to a favored snag thrust up from the edge of a pond in the forest. Cattails browned on the edge of the pond, completing the cycle she'd seen before, but her sharp golden eyes watched the edges of the water, between the reeds, watching for food, looking for... There! She pounced, sharp talons snatching the wriggling thing, strong bill crunching it. It would hold her for a time, and her strong legs thrust her back into the air, even as her wings pulled her upward. She glided between the trees and back into the shadows of the forest. A few strokes and a gentle bank brought her to a favored perch, protected from the wind and open to the rising sun. She settled there, listening, occasionally preening a rough spot on wing or back, letting the sun warm and lull her. And for a time, there was no time at all. The All-Mother completed her circuit of the sky. Darkness came for a time only to be banished by the All-Father's silvery face, and even before he finished his survey, All-Mother returned. The raven fed herself on berries and juicy bugs. Winter was coming, and with it the hungry time. She scoured her wood from hilltop to vale, from pond to brake, dark wood to field. She listened and warned with her voice. The men in the clearing were interesting, and she took her perch above them, golden eyes watching. There was movement in the field again. Children ran. Women dug root crops and cut corn. She crooned. No more sweet corn for her. But perhaps some fruit would be left behind. She remembered sweet fruit from the ground and gave a soft croak of anticipation for the women to be done so she could search. There was meat down there, too. She smelled it on the breeze, but was unable to find it until movement drew her attention and she saw them putting the bodies in holes. They were wrapped in cloth, but her talons gripped the branch beneath her. She knew cloth would not slow her long. So much meat would be good. She lifted her head and called loudly in anticipation and warning. The big male in the next valley might hear, and she liked that idea. She called again and listened, but there was no answer. The men below were done putting the meat in the holes. She danced in frustration as she watched them filling them in, shoveling the musky earth down, covering the meat, hiding it. In moments it was done and the meat was gone. She crooned her frustration and looked about for her next meal. She was hungry and winter was coming. With a last loud cry, she launched herself into the air and soared back into the forest. She needed water and headed for the pond. Perhaps there'd be another bit of food as well. Her eyes were gummy, but they opened a bit. 
Her lips were parched and her tongue felt stuck to her mouth. A shape moved and she focused on it. Megan smiled down at her. Good afternoon, Mum. Her voice was soft and low. Megan brought a moistened cloth and stroked her face with it, wiping it across her mouth, wetting her lips. She pulled the cloth away but returned with a spoon and ladled a few drops of water into the side of her mouth. Tana's tongue managed to find it and the cool liquid slipped down her throat, loosening and soothing as it went. They repeated the process several times before Tanith was able to say thank you. A line of fire stitched up the middle of her, and she let herself escape it by falling back into slumber. She'd been wounded and she needed to heal. Sleep was the great healer. She embraced it willingly. The cool water flashed in the failing light of the All-Mother. She left the sky empty longer now, taking to her nest and leaving the sky for All-Father. Her heavy bill crunched several times and a small fish slipped down easily as she swallowed. She needed to find more food and a perch for the night. It would be colder now, and she needed her strength. She took wing and sailed over the place where men worked the gray soil. No men walked the land, so she circled to see if there were any bright things she might take or perhaps some food. Small animals visited the place sometimes and they were tasty and warm. Her bright golden eyes raked the ground, but nothing moved. Nothing shined. She flicked a wing and continued onward. The men had carved a path through the trees, and she followed it, taking pleasure in swooping along and between. She was silent except for the faint whisper in her wings as she sailed rapidly. She checked her speed as the opening appeared and turned with a flare of wing and tail to a light on a branch where she could watch. The meat was buried, and even the scent of it was gone from the air. The young were running about and making a terrible racket, but the large people were tearing at the burned house. It didn't stink as much anymore. The man with the bow came up the track, and she watched him carefully. Men were seldom a threat, but those with bows needed care. They sometimes took sport with her kind, and she'd had to dodge more than one arrow in her life. The breeze carried a scent of awful, and she perked up at the aroma. If he'd killed, there might be food. She took wing and sword. Tanith woke again, stronger now, still in pain. She laughed. It was more a panting sound than a laugh, but she laughed even though it hurt. Sadie leaned over her and smiled to see her awake. Hello, Mom. Welcome back. Tanith tried to smile in return, and it must have worked because Sadie's smile widened. She offered a cup of water and helped Tanith lift her head to drink it. The line of fire up her belly didn't hurt as badly, and she was feeling considerably more clear-headed. The liquid moistened her throat and tongue, and she was able to speak more than a simple croak. William? Sadie nodded her head. He'll be okay. He won't be chopping any wood for a while, but he'll recover. Her face clouded. They killed Kurt. Birchwood said that. I didn't believe him. Sadie made a sideways shrug. He was telling the truth. There's been no more trouble then. Sadie shook her head. Thomas killed one of them behind the barn. The other one threw down his sword and ran away. I should have been quicker. Sadie patted her gently on the shoulder. There, there, Mom. If it hadn't been for you and your warning, we'd have all been dead. Tanith took small comfort, although she suspected it might be true. Everyone else? Sadie smiled. Everyone else is fine, Mom. And we have a nice soup for you here. Would you like some? 
Tanith noticed that she was still in the workroom, although the sawhorses and boards had been removed. She laid on a rope-bound cot on a sweet grass tick. A pot burbled gently over the fire, and a kettle steamed nearby. Her stomach growled loudly enough that Sadie heard it. That sounded like yes to me, Mum. She grinned and patted the older woman's arm once more. Why am I still here? Tanis' voice was weak but still audible in the quiet room. Sadie ladled a dipper of broth into an earthenware mug and then broke a hank of bread off a loaf that rested on the cutting board nearby. She brought the food over and set it on a sawed-off log that stood on end as a table. Because this was the easiest place to care for you. You were bleeding a lot and laying on the broken crockery when we found you, Mum. We weren't sure what happened. Birchwood is dead, though, isn't he? Yes, Mum, he's dead. Sadie walked around the end of the cot above Tanith's head and grabbed the frame. Just a second, Mum. Hold on. Tanith had a moment of disorientation until she realized that Sadie was lifting the cot with her on it. Wood scraped on wood, and then the end of the cot lowered a bit, leaving her laying on a slight incline. Sadie came back to the side of the cot and settled on another sawed-off log. There. That'll save you having to lift your head so far, Mum. What'd you do? Tanith was unable to turn far enough to see. Put a log under the head of the bed to hold it up while you eat. You lifted the cot and me together. Well, of course, Mum. Wouldn't have done much good if I'd lifted you and not the cot. I certainly couldn't lift the cot without lifting you in it, now could I? Tanith grinned and laughed softly. I just meant you were strong. Sadie raised an eyebrow and a spoon at the same time. Strong? Me, Mum. I'm not that strong. You're not that heavy. I think Riley might outweigh you. She levered the spoon and the rich broth rolled over Tanith's tongue. Tanith smiled and swallowed gratefully. You know, I could probably hold a cup and spoon. She lifted her arms and showed Sadie. Can you lift your head so you don't spill the soup off the spoon before it gets into your mouth, Mum? She smiled skeptically but seemed willing to try. Well, if we can get me propped up enough to hold a mug and drink it, I won't need a spoon. Okay, Mum. But you nursed me. Seems only right that I should nurse you. Tanith blushed a bit at the earnestness of a young woman's response. I appreciate that, really. But the sooner I start doing things for myself, the sooner I'll be up and about. They spent a few more painful moments with Sadie trying to push pads of blankets under Tanith's shoulders and to lift her up without her having to use her stomach muscles. In the end, Tanith was propped up, partly by a wad of woolens and partly through the expedient of getting a taller log to hold up the head of the cot. She started to slide down her bit, but her heels caught on the inside of the frame and she found she could brace her knees without undue strain. All through the exercise, Tanith tried to get a feel for how badly she was damaged. She seemed to be wrapped in strips of bandage from her collarbone to her hips. The line of fire was less precise the longer she tried to concentrate on it, and even peeking under the covers only showed her in some kind of shift she didn't recognize. Sadie? Tanith was hesitant about asking. Yes, Mum. The younger woman settled beside her and handed her the mug of broth. Tanith took the mug and looked pointedly down at herself. How bad is it? Sadie looked up and down at the older woman. Well, Mum, you did need a few stitches across your chest. But the cut up your belly wasn't particularly deep. More a scratch. The wrappings you wore around your chest? They were cut clean through. The knife went pretty deep there, but we got you stitched up and wrapped pretty fast. She looked up at Tana's face, nodding at the mug of soup. You'll want to drink that while it's still warm, Mum. Tanith blinked a couple of times, having difficulty understanding what she'd heard. 
She brought the cup to her lips and carefully sipped it, working her head forward a bit to get her mouth on the lip of the cup to avoid pouring the soup down her front. The warmth and the moisture felt wonderful, and she sipped again. Stitched me up. Thomas was in the king's own for a time, Mum. He was in a lot of battles and helped with the wounded. She lowered her eyes. He was the one that actually stitched you up, Mum. I hope you don't mind. Tanith laid a tentative hand on her breastbone. It was tender to the touch, sure enough, but the padding of the bandages gave her some protection. Why would I mind, dear? She was already feeling better and took another small sip of the broth. Sadie didn't look up. Well, we chaperoned him, Mum, but we had to take some liberties with your clothing and all. Sadie's eyes flickered to Tanith's chest. Tanith felt a brief flush of embarrassment that Thomas had seen what gravity and time had done to her body before realizing that she wasn't thinking too clearly. I think I owe him a debt of gratitude, Sadie. I'm grateful that he was able to use his knowledge and skills to sew my old carcass back together. She smiled warmly. How's his hemming? Did he run a straight seam? Her joking comment caught Sadie off guard, and she looked up in horror before she realized that Tanith was joking. Yes, Mum, we made sure he kept his stitches nice and even for you. She grinned and blushed prettily. Never know who you'll get to show them off for. Tanith huffed another small laugh and took a sip of soup. She looked over to where Sadie had left a hank of bread on the table. Was that for me as well? she asked hopefully. Sadie grinned and handed Tanith the bread, which she dipped into the rich broth and let dissolve in her mouth. In less time than she'd have thought possible, the mug was empty, and she held it up to let the last savory drops run into her mouth. She handed the empty mug back. That was very tasty, Sadie. May I have a little more? Sadie looked skeptical. Are you sure you should, Mom? Tanith shrugged, but instantly regretted it. Nothing was damaged inside, just a cut. Why not? Mom, you lost a lot of blood. Sadie took the cup and crossed to the fire. But if you want some, I'll give you a little. Tanith barely heard Sadie's solicitous words as more than a gentle noise in the background as she slid back down the slope to sleep. Chapter 29. Healing Time. Within a couple of days, Tanith was ready to get out of bed. Megan, come help me a moment, please. Megan put down her mending and stepped over to the cot. How can I help, Mom? Tanith struggled to a sitting position and swung her legs over the side of the cot. Give me your hands, please. I need to stand up. Mom, I don't think that's wise. Tanith smiled. I'm not sure either, but if I lay here much longer, I'm not going to be able to get up again, so please help me. She gave an apologetic shrug. Besides, I need to use the privy. Megan looked horrified. Mom, you can't be walking all that way. Tanith gave a small laugh. Well, then, I'm going to pee myself trying, my dear, so if you'd give me a hand, we'll see how far I can get before I go, shall we? Megan held out her hands, and Tanith used them to pull herself upright. She swayed a bit as the blood that had been in her head rushed to her feet. For a moment or two, she wasn't too sure she'd made the right decision after all. She gripped Megan's shoulder and held on until the dizziness passed. Her legs were weak, but they held her, and she took a tentative step. Her hips groaned at her, but soon were moving smoothly, and she had Megan turn around and walk toward the back door and the privy beyond. If the steps were slow and sometimes halting, they were steps. She grew more certain as she walked along. Megan made it to the back door and pulled a warm shawl down from a peg inside the door. Here, Mum, don't get chilled. Tanith allowed the woman to fuss over her a bit and draped the shawl around her. 
The longer she stood, the less certain she was that she'd make it all the way to the privy and back. Megan must have seen the uncertainty in her eyes. Are you sure you want to do this, Mum? We've got the pot here for you. Tennis mouth twisted into a sideways grin. No, I'm not sure, but I'd much rather try than use that pot again. Megan grinned a sympathetic response and turned so Tanith could grab her shoulder once more. They shuffled out into the daylight. The sudden sun stabbed Tanith's eyes and she nearly stumbled. But she half-closed them and lowered her head against the midday glare. Her feet scuffled her forward over the cold grass and damp soil. Oh, Mum, we should have put some shoes on you. Megan was horrified when she realized that Tanith walked barefoot. Tanith patted Megan's shoulder lightly. Hush, child, we're almost there, and it feels quite pleasant. The icy fingers of grass stroked her feet, and the soft soil beneath cushioned her steps. Each step she took seemed to be stronger, as if pulling strength from the very ground upon which she walked. She whispered a small prayer of thanks to the All-Mother and kept moving. In less time than Megan feared, and in much more time than Tanith expected, they came to the door of the privy. Megan swung it open and led Tanith inside. It took some maneuvering, but after two days of using the pot with the requisite attendances, Tanith's sense of modesty had been shredded. Megan saw her charge safely enthroned and stepped out, discreetly closing the door behind her. In a moment, Tanith called Megan back, and they retraced their steps into the workroom. At the cot, Tanith balked at laying back down. Mom, you need to lay down and sleep. Megan's voice was firm. Megan? I need to sit up and get something to eat. Is there any rabbit in that stew? She nodded at the pot over the fire. Yes, Mum, there is. Good. Help me get a seat where I can lean back on the hearth. I'll eat something solid, and then, I promise, I'll be a good girl and go back to bed. She smiled. She knew she was being impatient, but also knew the danger of lying down for too long. With the ground rules established, Tanith and Megan had a pleasant meal of rabbit stew and more fresh bread and even a nice cup of tea. Tanith began to feel much more human, even as the exertion took its toll on her. When the meal was over, Megan helped her stand once more, and as she had promised, went back to bed. Oh, that's lovely, my dear. Thank you. Tanith was already feeling the tug of sleep, but struggled against it to speak. When I wake up, do you think we could have some hot water for washing up? We really should change these dressings out. Of course, Mom. We were talking about it among ourselves and thought we probably should have done it yesterday. She looked chagrined. Tana smiled and reached out to pat her arm. When I wake, that'll be soon enough, I think. Almost against her will, her eyes closed, and sleep claimed her once more. The raven watched the men tear down the house. They'd been working at it for two passages of the All-Mother through the sky. Some of the wood they saved, some of it they stacked in a big pile. The logs were taken apart and laid out side by side. She eyed their activities and soaked up the warmth of the sun, but her belly was empty and she needed food. She took wing and soared over the men's heads unnoticed, out over the open space of the long path. She remembered a fruit tree and flew to it. The ground was littered with fallen fruit, some already soft and some crawling with stinging insects. The insects gave a lovely tang to the fruit and their stings had no effect on the horny plates of her bill. She gorged herself and had to hop twice to get enough spring to get off the ground. Once aloft, she sailed between the trunks and flapped heavily upwards, looking for her favorite perch high in the fir tree, where she could watch the men and drowse in the sun. As afternoon wore down toward night, Tanith fought her way back to consciousness. The meal had helped, and the exercise had, too, but the new levels of awareness were making her impatient. As she blinked herself awake, she saw that Megan had been joined by Sadie, and the pair of them smiled happily to see her stirring. 
So are you ready to see what's under the bandages, Mum? Sadie was smiling gently. Oh, I am indeed. Tanith was actually afraid of what she'd find, but determined to see it through. The two women had a large tub set up beside the hearth and a substantial collection of kettles heating on the fire. They helped her rise and walked her out to the privy and back before beginning. She was already stronger, and the round trip took much less time and effort. The workroom felt almost stifling after being out in the cool fall air. They took her to the tub and had her stand in it while they peeled her clothing away. They got her down to bandages and small clothes in no time, and then had her sit on the edge of the tub while they used sewing shears to clip carefully up her spine. The cold steel of the shears gave her shivers as the narrow blade slid under the wrappings and against her skin. With each layer of wrapping released, they carefully peeled it back and dropped it into a pile on the floor beside the tub. The first few layers revealed nothing to Tanith's eager gaze, but as the subsequent layers were removed, the extent of her injury became more evident. By the time they were up to her navel, the bandages were stuck securely to her. They used a clean cloth soaked in hot water to moisten and loosen it before pulling it gently away. It took almost half an hour to get the bandages off her. They gave her a warm shawl to put over her shoulders and hot water in the tub for her feet while they cleaned the long wound up her torso. As Sadie had said, the lower part of the cut, the most vulnerable and softest part of her body, was sliced, but it was quite shallow. As the blade drove up the length of her body, it had bit more cruelly. Seeing the scabbing cut on her belly was shocking enough, but when the bandages pulled free of her chest, the neat row of X-shaped stitches in the flesh between her breasts was almost incomprehensible. Age, gravity, and a reduction in her body fat over the years had left her breast sagging flat against her ribcage with only the slightest sway, and the incongruousness of the stitching running up between them left her slightly disoriented. The younger women seemed more shocked by the sight of her flattened bare breasts than by the stitching in her skin. She smiled. This is what happens if you live long enough. She waved a hand at them. There are worse things. She paused and put a tentative finger to one of the stitches, eyed the redness along the edges of the wound. She looked up into the staring eyes of the two younger women. Well, what do you see? Infected? Megan squinted her eyes a little and moved in for a closer look. She put her nose almost against her flesh and sniffed delicately. It doesn't smell bad, Mum, but it's a bit redder than I'd like to see. Sadie eyed her companion with an odd look, but then turned her attention to the cut. She reached out a tentative finger to touch the older woman's flesh, but stopped. May I, Mum? Of course, my dear. Tell me what you think, and then I'll tell you what I think. The two examined the cut and the stitching with critical eyes and a few tentative touches. They stepped back and shared a look. Tanith prompted them. Well, I'm getting chilly here, waving my dugs in the breeze. What do you think? She had an amused grin on her face. We might want to figure it out before any of the children wander in and we scare them silly. The two giggled a little, but Sadie's serious expression didn't go away. That's not looking as good as I'd hoped, Mum. Megan sighed and nodded her agreement. It's awful red and puffy looking, Mum. Tanith nodded. I agree. I don't think it's infected yet, but I'm not liking the way it's looking, and not just because it's me. She smiled and looked down at herself. What do we do about it? Megan shook her head. I'd try a poultice of feverfew if there were any around here. Sadie agreed. Yeah, if we were at home, I'd have the healer round. Which hazel liniment, maybe? Tanith nodded, impressed at Megan's practical approach and Sadie's depth of knowledge. Well, I haven't seen any feverfew yet, but there are some big patches of comfrey along the edge of the woods on the south side of the village. You know comfrey? Upright plant with fairly large leaves, kind of spearhead-shaped. Megan nodded. I know it. How much do we need? 
Tanith gave a little shrug. Probably two or three plants. Depends on the size. Break them off close to the ground, bring them back here, and I'll show you what to do with them. She looked at Sadie. The big pine trees out behind the barn? The ones with the long green needles? Yes, Mom, what about them? Tanith nodded at one of the empty pots I'd heated water in. Take that out and strip enough pine needles to half fill that pot. Sadie reached for the pot, and Megan headed for the door when Tanith stopped them. If you'd be so good as to get me a shirt or something, I'd just as soon not sit here half-naked while I wait. They grinned. Yes, Mom. Megan helped her put on a shift, and then wrapped her in a blanket while she paddled her feet in the warm water of the tub. We'll hurry, Mom. Sadie grinned as they scampered off in different directions. Sadie returned first. She had the shorter distance to go and knew exactly what it was she was doing. She was back within minutes with a pot of the redolent needles. Here we go, Mom. What do we do with them? Pour enough hot water on them to just float them and set the kettle over the fire to simmer. Sadie followed her directions and hung the pot on the pot hanger. I love the smell, Mom, but will this help infections? Well, pine is a good all-around cleaner. Any kind of cut or scrape, wash it with a little pine needle tea. In a few minutes, Megan came trotting back with three largish comfrey plants. There were even some seed pods that had not yet dropped. How are these, Mom? Tannis smiled. Perfect. Strip the leaves off the stems and put them in another pot. We'll make a poultice out of those and a bit of the pine needle tea. She looked down at herself. Before we do that, can I have a bit of soap and some hot water? May as well clean up a bit before we get serious. The women eagerly helped her strip down and bathed her in hot water with some of their own soap. It was scented with lavender, and Tanith nodded approvingly. Lavender will help healing, too. They finished rinsing her off with some more of the hot water, and then dried her with a soft blanket before helping her into fresh small clothes and one of her own comfy pairs of trousers. You're going to have to wrap that poultice, and I'll need to be laying down. The two women nodded, and Sadie produced a length of cotton to use for a winding. We were going to tear this into bandages, but this should work, shouldn't it, Mum? Tanith nodded approvingly. Very good. Lay it down and I'll lay on it, and then you can pile on the foliage. She grinned. When the cotton was settled, they had Tanith lie down on it. She had them start with a kettle of pine needles. One of you pour a little of the liquid from that into the comfrey, and then squish it up with your hands. The other one, get a cloth and wash the cut with the pine needle tea. They did as they were bid. Megan poured a small amount of the pine liquid into the kettle with her leaves and proceeded to make as consistent a paste out of them as she could. The smell of pine saturated the air, and even the musky comfrey scent couldn't come near it in redolence. Sadie got a clean cloth and gently patted the incision with a hot pine tea. The ends of the stitches occasionally caught in the cloth and tugged, but Tanith was able to ignore the small twinges. All right, now cover the cut with mushed-up comfrey. Make sure it's moist. Megan made a line of the warm leaf matter down the center of Tanith's body, and the three of them giggled at the sight. Sadie started to pull the cloth over her. Now wrap you up, Mum. Tana thought for a moment. Scoop some of the pine needles out and lay them down across the wound, too. They built a layer of pine on top of the layer of comfrey, and by the time they were done, the liquid was cooling. Tanith was grateful for the warmth of the cotton being wrapped around her. They were careful to smooth the cloth over her body and then pulled the free end around her two more times. They helped her pull on a shift and smoothed that down over her to hold the loose end in place. There. Tanith looked down at herself. Now, if you have a bit of bread and some cheese, perhaps a cup of chamomile tea, I think I'm about done for one day. The two looked at each other, at the shambles they'd made of the hearth, and then at Tanith, and grinned. Megan started gathering up the pots and herbal material while Sadie put the kettle on. As they cleaned up, Tanith offered a bit of advice. 
Put the leftover pine and comfrey into one pot and just add enough water to cover it. Then you can leave it on the side of the hearth to stay warm and we can use it for washing up. Megan nodded and did as Tannis suggested. Sadie brought a whole loaf of fresh bread and sliced two or three chunks of cheese off a wheel for her. I'm surprised you didn't want more rabbit, Mom. She grinned. Tanith considered it. No, I had rabbit for lunch. The bread is delicious and the cheese tastes good. She smiled. At this rate, I should be back in my own hut another day or two, don't you think? She looked at Megan. You've gone back there, haven't you? Megan shook her head. We moved into one of the empty huts, Mom. Yours is ready for you to move back in. Tanith found herself saddened that she'd not be living with Megan and her children. But Harry would be back soon, and the threat that had driven them together was gone. She also found the thought of being back on her own again almost hurtfully appealing. She was just not used to living so closely with so many people. As enjoyable as she'd found being around the young folk, she found herself longing for a bit of quiet after all. She finished the cheese and chased it with a bit of bread and some healthy swallows of the soothing chamomile tea. She gave a little wave to the two women at the hearth and settled herself into her bed. Her own private night fell, drawing the curtain of darkness across her eyes. Thanks for listening to Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure. Music is The Hill, composed and produced by Ivan Chu. Find this and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com. Music